So we're going to begin the uh, chapter 6, Perek Vav, of Sefer Shemuel. The series on Sefer Shemuel, the Nachyomi series, has been generously sponsored by Ariel Kalati and family in memory of Dorina Kalati, Zichrona Devacha, as well as by Charlotte Cheverdi for the continued Hatzlacha success and uh, growth of Yeshivat Dehavahaskel. We thank our sponsors and all of our series of learning uh, are uh, available for sponsorship for those who are interested. Certainly, uh, everyone is invited to uh, to sponsor if they are uh, inclined to do so. We love to have the sponsorship and the support of our listeners and those who are learning with us. Um, so we encourage you to uh, uh, we encourage you to uh, to uh, support if you can. We're going to be on uh, chapter. Vav, this is the middle of a story. The story began yesterday with the Plishtim who have uh, have the Aron with them. They've taken the Aron Elohim. they've taken the Ark of God, and this Ark is uh, causing them a lot of problems. Basically, they place the Aron, they place the uh, Ark of Hashem in the temple of their God, and the temple of their and in the temple of their God, all kinds of uh, 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 bad things happen. First their God falls over, then their God ends up being chopped up, then they start being stricken with different diseases, and they realize that this is all happening because they are holding the Aron hostage. And uh, the, of course, as we mentioned in yesterday's Shi'ur, the objective here was to teach them that they couldn't equate, they couldn't in any way try to compare their concept of God or their concept of divinity or their concept of religion to the idea of the Torah, the idea of Hashem, a transcendent God and one God versus the many gods and the material gods, the physical gods that they believed in. And we saw the uh, magical kind of thinking that they engaged in, even interpreting, the way they interpreted what the Aron or what their possession of the Aron was causing to them. Now, we open chapter 6, really with a continuation of that story. They realized that uh, keeping the Aron was not an option. It was causing them too much uh, difficulty, too much pain. So, in the end, this situation continued for seven months. The situation that the Aaron was bringing upon them all kinds of plagues. And of course, they interpreted it in a kind of a superstitious manner. They didn't necessarily, it didn't seem like, at least up to this point, they got the concept of what it was trying to teach them. Uh, so the Plishtim called their priests and their magicians and they said, What should we do with the Aron of Hashem? Let us know how should we send it back. Now you'll notice here, and I was pointing this out yesterday, that up till now, whenever the Plishtim have referred to the Aron, they've used the word Elohim. The word Elohim is a generic term. And it's a term that's used just as much for God, the true God, as it's used for idolatrous gods. In other words, it's a term that has uh, what we call an equivocal term, not a term that necessarily exclusively refers to Hashem. Whereas when the Navi was describing what was happening to the Plishtim, it kept using the name Yurkei Vavkei, uh, what we pronounce as Adonai, because it was trying to emphasize that the whole, per- the whole point of the tribulations that the Plishtim were experiencing was to teach them that Hashem was transcendent, that Hashem was not to be equated or compared to the idolatry of the Plishtim. Here, for the first time, the Plishtim themselves used the word Yudke Vavke. They used the term Hashem. In other words, the, perhaps the Navi is suggesting that they did pick up a little bit of the message that was being conveyed to them, that there is something 
unusual. There is something different. There is something distinct about the God of Israel that is unlike any other concept of God that they might have ever encountered. So the priests and magicians said, don't send it back empty-handed. You should send a guilt offering with it. Then when you send back gifts, you will be healed and it will be known to you why his hand would not get off of you. In other words, you will realize then when you send back that one with proper gifts that this was all happening to you. All of the suffering that they were enduring was happening to them because they were holding the Aaron hostage. So, what is the guilt offering we should, we should give? So these <coughs> priests and magicians come up with a very unusual suggestion. They say that you should make there, we remember that the plague that they, uh, that they endured was hemorrhoids. So the, um, and I had suggested yesterday that perhaps that's the idea of not being able to sit down, not being able to be settled, just like the Aaron could not be settled, could not sit down where it was. So the, uh, so the idea was to give five golden hemorrhoids, basically, unusual kind of a gift, and five golden mice. Now the Radak says, you see from this, that there must have also been, as a result of the bodily fluids leaking out of them or whatever it was, mice also were terrorizing them during this time because otherwise what would the purpose of the mice be here? Because there was one plague for you and for your leaders. In other words, there are five leaders because there were five cities of the Plishtim. So for each one of them, you give one of these golden hemorrhoids and one of these golden mice. In other words, you're acknowledging that this plague came to you because of God's judgment of you. By, show, by giving a gift that reflects the form of the, that the plague took when it struck you. And so you should make these images, these golden uh, hemorrhoids and these golden mice. And that way you're giving honor to the God of Israel. Then maybe he will be light with you. He will start to be uh, kind to you. And he will stop punishing your gods and your land. Why are you hardening your hearts like Paro and Mitzrayim hardened their hearts? In the end, when Hashem had, uh, had uh, struck the Egyptians with enough plagues, finally they let the Jews go anyway, you should quit while you're ahead and let, them, let the Aaron go. So now this is an interesting thing. So up till now it sounds like we're certain that the reason for the plagues was because we were holding the Aaron hostage. And therefore, we're going to send gifts that represent the uh, plagues that we experienced. But now, they come up with a kind of a test. Take a new, um, uh, take a new um, uh, agala, a brand new cart that we're going to put the Aaron on, and and have two, um, uh, two, cows that are nursing cows, in other words, that have babies, that they've never actually pulled anything because they're nursing cows, right? And tie these cows to the, to the wagon. And keep their babies behind them. In other words, what will nature dictate? Nature will dictate that these cows will want to go back to their, their young and nurse them. And again, notice they use the word Hashem here, not Elohim. Put the Aaron on the wagon. 
as well as the golden items that you are giving as a gift, put them in a box next to it, send it and let it go. If these cows go towards Beit Shemesh, which is the direction away from Ashdod, um, towards the Jewish settlement, that shows you that Hashem was the one who inflicted us with all of this pain, and if the cows decide to come home to their young, that shows that it wasn't the hand of God. It was just an accident. It was just a chance event. So very interesting. On one hand, it seems like they're certain that they need to do it. At first, they're saying, this is what we're going to do with the golden thing, with the golden gifts that we're going to return to Hashem, so to speak. But then in the end, they say, but let's, just to be 100% sure, we will allow this to happen by itself. And notice they use the name Hashem, meaning why? Because the test here is, will natural tendency take over? Because if natural tendency takes over, that means that the cows are going to come back to their young. But if there is something beyond nature, transcendent of nature that is operating here, so then the cows will follow the direction that Hashem gives them and they will go to Beit Shemesh. That is why perhaps the here we see the Plishtim using the word Hashem, because they are acknowledging that for a miracle to happen, it has to be something transcending nature. Okay, now, so they tied up the two cows uh, to the wagon and they put the Aaron in the wagon and uh, they also put the box with the golden gifts and these cows went straight they were going and they were crying out as they were going they were mooing along, but they didn't turn right or left. And the princes of the Plishtim followed behind until they came to Beit Shemesh. In other words, they see that these cows are going against their natural tendency. Obviously, there is the hand of God involved here, returning the Aaron to its place. So that convinced them. In other words, even though they, it seemed like they were pretty certain that it wasn't an accident, that these things were happening to them, but they would have still been happy to discover that it was all an accident and that it wasn't proving anything uh, a, a greater. In other words, that it wasn't demonstrating that there's a God superior to their God or totally distinct from their concept of God who is beyond nature. No, there's no such thing. It was just an accident if the cows had come back home. But the fact that they set this up as a test, it's convincing them of what they wouldn't really want to accept because they wouldn't really want to accept that their whole idea of religion is very primitive and very limited and very materialistic and focused on idols and focused on physical images that are, uh, are finite and, and that their true God, they don't, want to, they don't want to accept that the true God is transcendent and infinite. They don't want to accept that because that challenges their whole belief system. So they would rather that the test fail, but the test works. Now, the people in Beit Shemesh were harvesting the uh, wheat harvest in the, uh, in the valley. They were very happy to see the Aaron coming. So it could just be because they were happy to see the Aaron returned. It could be because they noticed that it was being returned in a miraculous manner. So they were, uh, they were very happy about that. So the wagon came to the field of Yoshua of Beit Shemesh, and it stood there. There's a big rock there. So they took the two cows, and they made them into sacrifices, and they used the wood of the wagon. And so the Leviim that were present, they took down the Aaron from there. They also took the golden gifts. They put it on the large rock. And so the people of Beit Shemesh 
brought burnt offerings and peace offerings on that day to Hashem. And notice again the name Hashem is here. And so the princes of Plishtim saw that and they went back to Ekron. And to each one of the cities of the Plishtim, there was one golden hemorrhoid. So we see that according to, there's a machloket how to understand this. But here it says that the golden mice were the number of the cities of the Plishtim that belonged to the five princes, going from the uh, fortified cities all the way to the uh, outskirts, the, uh, the villages that were unwalled, all the way to the Avel Agdola, to this place, which was the Evan Agdola, which is also called the Avel Agdola, we're going to see why in a second, <clears throat> where they, the, to the large rock where they placed the Aaron, until, which is there until this day, in this, in the, uh, meaning until the day that the Navi was written, I don't know if it's still there today, <clears throat> in the field of Yahushua of Bet Shemesh. So the point is that according to one opinion, um, what it means is that even though the priests and the leaders told them to give only five golden hemorrhoids, and only five uh, golden mice, they actually brought even more than that. They added on and they brought many, many more in accordance with the number of cities and villages, not just the number of leaders. Um, and others say, no, it's just saying that about the mice. The, the mice, they made uh, more. The, the hemorrhoids, they made only the five. But the mice, they made even more. The point is that they went above and beyond what they were originally told because they were really hoping the plague would pass. Now, up to this point, Things seem fine. The Jewish people are very happy to receive the Aron back. They are celebrating. They're bringing Korbanot, thanking God for having brought the Aron back. And then, It says that Hashem struck the people of Bechemesh because they looked into the Aron of Hashem. And He struck 70 people, 50,000 people. We'll see what this is. a very difficult pasuk to interpret. And the people mourned because Hashem had struck the people with a great blow that day. Now, the thing is, there's a couple of problems with this pasuk. First of all, what exactly did the people of Bet Shemesh do that was wrong? There are two opinions here. One opinion is that when they saw the Aron, they didn't respond with great fervor. They were doing their work. They were busy. They said, okay, we'll get to it. You know, uh, it's no rush. And uh, one interpretation in the Midrash is that they were not so excited, as excited as they should have been. They were happy, but it wasn't enough to actually cause them to have a quick reaction. Another interpretation is that they looked inside their own, which is what most of the Mepharshim say was the problem, that they opened their own and looked inside. Either way, what's the common denominator between the two uh, interpretations? Common denominator is that they lacked reverence for the Aron. Either it, they were indifferent to its arrival, not totally, because it says they were happy, but meaning they weren't sufficiently excited about its arrival that they interrupted their work, or that they weren't sufficiently reverent in the sense that they opened it up and they started peeking inside out of curiosity and disrespecting the sanctity of the Aron. Either way, there was a lack of kavod, there was a lack of honor, a lack of um, appreciation for the significance of the Aron and its holiness, and therefore there was a, there was a plague. We're going to explain why this is significant in a second. But the other part of the pasuk that's problematic is it says that Hashem struck 70 people, 50,000 people. Which one is it? So one interpretation is that it means 50,000 and 70. That's that, that might be the pshat interpretation. Others say no, what it means is 70 people who were equivalent to 50,000 because they were so great that, um, 
that uh, you know that they they were the equivalent of, of fifty thousand people, or seventy leaders and fifty thousand ordinary people. Um, different interpretations <laughs> come up here, but the idea, the, the question would be why the pasuk splits it into seventy and then fifty thousand. The point is there was a terrible uh, plague that happened, and uh, because of the disrespect of the Aron, we're going to talk about why that's important in a second. The people of Beit Shemesh said as follows. Who can stand before Hashem? And notice they use the word Yud Kevavke, the word that the name of Hashem that refers to His transcendence, the Holy God, this Holy God. To whom can we send it up away from us? They called the people in Kiryat Yarim and said, the Plishtim have returned the Aron of Hashem. Come down and take it up to you. And I'm just going to go into the next parak because. This beginning pasuk is actually in the text of the Navi, still part of the previous chapter. And that's why sometimes following the uh, English chapters that we have is misleading, as I always mention, because some, because Christians establish those chapter divisions and a lot of times they break up paragraphs right in the middle instead of being faithful to, uh, to the text as it appears in the Hebrew. So here this next pasuk is really part of the previous one. It says that the people of, uh, of Kiryat Yarim came and they brought the Aron up and they brought it to the house of Avinadav and Giv'ah and Elazar's son, they, they consecrated or they designated to guard the Aron of Hashem. And that's why, it, and then the next pasuk also is its own paragraph. The days that the Aaron stayed in Kiryat Yarim were very long, 20 years. And all of the Jewish people were drawn after Hashem. What does it mean? The very interesting thing. What, what's going on here? First of all, why do the people of Bit Shemesh get struck down because of the lack of reverence for the Aaron? And second of all, why is it that the Psukim connect the absence of the Aaron, the fact that Aaron is in Kiryat Yarim, to the fact that the Jewish people start following Hashem. And we see here something very important because we saw in the initial relationship that the Jewish people had to the Aaron was an unhealthy one. They thought of it as a magical superstitious object that would save them in battle, that would bring them success automatically without having to improve themselves, without having to actually have a relationship with God. But somehow this object had the power to save them. That was their original belief. Later on, when the Aaron was lost, what happens now? So now the people say, you know, that Aaron really wasn't so, such a big deal. And when it comes back, yeah, they're happy that it's back. It was a symbol of the Jewish people and their relationship with God. They're happy to have it back. But they didn't take it to be this super sacred, super venerated object anymore because they saw that it was captured in battle. They saw that it didn't deliver on what they expected it to. It didn't have the effect and the impact that they anticipated. And that lowered their reverence for the Aaron. And so, so they were struck down because either they didn't respond quickly enough when the Aron arrived because they didn't have that sense of excitement to the level that they should have, or they didn't have reverence for the sanctity of the Aron because its, its sanctity, its importance, its significance was dulled and was lowered by the fact that it was taken by the Plishtim and it didn't deliver for them in the battlefield like it was supposed to. So in other words, they went from one extreme to the other. They went from the extreme of thinking that the Aron was some kind of a magical object to thinking that really it's not such a big deal after all. Whereas the Plishtim actually have learned from this whole process that there is something special about the Aron or what it represents. The people of Bet Shemesh at first responded in an improper way, but then they did Teshuvah because they said, who can stand before this great, uh, this holy God, 
In other words, they recognized that the Aaron represented the presence of God and therefore deserved proper respect and veneration as well. And therefore it goes to Kiryat Yarim where they appoint somebody who's going to be in charge of guarding it and uh, demonstrating proper respect. That is a way of demonstrating respect, having a guard there, like the Buckingham Palace guards, Lavdil, uh, that demonstrate the kavod that is had for a certain institution. So that's what the, the, the uh, El-Azar ben Avinadav was going to be designated to do. And then it says, while those 20 years that the Aaron was in Kiryat Yarim, the Jewish people followed Hashem. In other words, they, they struck a balance. They were not worshipping the Aaron as a magical talisman, but they weren't dismissing the significance of the Aaron. They had struck a balance where they recognized the significance and importance of the Aaron, but they realized that to truly appreciate that, what the Aaron is about, to really benefit from what the Aaron is about, and to really gain from it and learn from it, you need to have a relationship with Hashem and a relationship with Torah because outside of that, the, the Aaron doesn't have any meaning. It's just a box unless you have the proper understanding of God and the proper relationship to Judaism as your foundation. And therefore, it, because it was out of the picture and they weren't involved with the Aaron during that time, they were able to clear their heads. It was being given the proper respect and it was in the proper hands. So it wasn't being distorted or disrespected by the Plishtim or disregarded by the people in Beit Shemesh, but it wasn't the focal point of Jewish religion. It was, uh, it was something that was being respected properly in its domain, but was no longer going to be uh, what the people focused on in their religious observance and their religious uh, consciousness. And that allowed Shmuel, as we're going to see, to build them up to an understanding of Hashem, which is authentic and truthful and will guide them on the path of Hashem and make them worthy eventually of a king and worthy eventually of a Beit HaMikdash. So we're going to see Bezat Hashem, how the story continues to develop, how Shmuel's leadership continues to, uh, uh, to, to uh, flourish and to grow in the upcoming chapter. Bezat Hashem, tomorrow, same time, same channel.